welcome to the Sensory Change Podcast, where we learn to think differently as a community supporting sensory kids at all levels. We share all sensory matters through discussions and interviews with experts in the field to get practical ideas and simple strategies to implement in day-to-day life. Here is your host and author of Against the Odds, Dana Latter. is a hypnotherapist and a spiritual healer. She is the author of a children's books, book, Sarah's Rainbow Angel, which teaches children how to heal themselves. Curry shares a large collection of meditation stories for children on her YouTube channel. Hello, Curry. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Pleasure. So, Curry, what made you decide your life and help healing others? Specifically um, with children, it, that didn't really come till later on down the road. At first, it started way back in 2003 where I was, I had two small girls at the time, um, Jenna and Isabel. And back in 2003, I was not in a very good place. I would say I probably had postpartum depression and my husband traveled a lot and I was on a lot of medications for asthma and uh, rheumatoid arthritis and a bunch of different stuff, and I was really unhappy. And I happened to have a friend that, at the time, had just moved to San Diego, and we'd just moved to San Diego, and she'd found a spiritual group, a place where you could go like once a week and just talk to people. So um, one week she took me there. And really, that was the beginning of everything. So at the spiritual group was held at a school here in San Diego, San Diego called the Institute of Thought. And I very shortly afterwards became a student there and learned how to become a hypnotherapist. So that's where it really all started back in 2003. And then for a long time, my focus was really just purely working with adults. It wasn't until maybe 2013, 2014, I started to attract more children to my practice. And then I decided to create this YouTube channel, which would give me an opportunity to get out there to the world to more people, to help more people. And also, obviously, YouTube is free. So it's something that's abundant for everyone if they could possibly, you know, Obviously, they need um, some kind of device to watch YouTube on, and not everybody, everybody does. But for the majority, at least YouTube would be an avenue where I could reach more people and help more people. So that's really just basically my journey. <laughs> uh, and what inspired you to do what you do? As far as my daily life or more specifically with the YouTube channel? More specifically with the YouTube channel. Well, the, the channel I started back in 2000, 2012, and at that time for about three, maybe three or three years, I didn't really have that many followers. And, but I wanted to start the channel with the intention of having an avenue where I could share the knowledge that I was learning through my clients and through all the different classes and workshops and teachings I was doing connected to becoming a hypnotherapist and spirituality and 
just everything. I was diving really deep into that whole spirit side of life, who we are, why we're here, what's our purpose, and all of that kind of stuff. So everything I was learning and then the discovery of meditation and how that changed my life, I thought that YouTube would be a perfect place to share that with other people. So at first I just used to post um, me talking about specific things, maybe like the chakras or uh, a type of meditation practice or something like that. And um, it wasn't until about three years later I decided that I was going to get more serious with my YouTube channel and try and grow an audience. So I started to post three times a week um, consistently. And um, at, the t- at the time, I was I work in a yoga studio and I had a... I, teach meditation in my community in about three different yoga studios throughout San Diego and San Diego and Chula Vista and I do that on a monthly basis and I had a lot of parents asking me if I could work with children could I teach children's meditations Mm -hmm. so I started doing it in um, group settings in these yoga studios which was so much fun but not successful at all because kids just really don't Generally, they don't like to sit still, especially when there's a bunch of them together. They want to play, you know. <laughs> so it was challenging, but very fun at the same time. Uh, and and how, that's, oh, sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. And how do you explain to kids what what is meditation? Exactly. Um, for me, it was more talking to them, not even really about the word meditation, because it's a little bit complex, the word for me, it was more about let's be, let's try and be calm and let's just be um, like connected to our breath and uh, more about focus. Like let's sit down and close our eyes and focus on this for a second. Or, and I mean literally a second. You could get their attention for maybe 15, 20 seconds and then that would be at the end of it. Normally they say as a rule, a child... For each year of the child, you can expect one minute of focus during meditation or one minute of quiet time. So a five-year-old, you can expect five minutes. But I really think that's exaggerated. Excuse me. Uh, Having them all together in a room uh, of all different ages, um, some of them, maybe past the age of seven or eight, find it a lot easier to sit and just kind of listen to you. If you have an interesting voice and you create... tone and you know you're abstractive with your body and you make it more interesting then you can get keep their attention exactly and many sensory children deal with stress and anxiety and panic attacks how can meditation help them well I think what my niche is and what I've found that works that seems to work for the children is um, it's almost like taking the idea of sitting still and giving them something that's pleasurable while they sit. So that's why I do the stories. So rather than just expect a child to sit, be quiet, still, close your eyes, don't do anything, just breathe. What I do and what I think really, really works is allow them to 
get still, get quiet, lay down, sit down, get comfortable. So you're starting them in the process of meditation and then telling them a story that has some kind of depth to it Mm -hmm. is keeping their attention, but still you're keeping them sat, you're keeping them still, you're keeping them calm. And they're also, their focus is on the story. And because their focus is on the story, you're taking the focus away from the feelings in, of anxiety or the feelings of stress in the body. You're distracting them, basically. So then the distraction is what's the important thing. How can I use this distraction to help them to grow or to learn a life lesson or to just connect to their breath but feel it in the body in a fun way? Or It's like use a distraction. Keep them focused on that. And then I trick them again, a little bit of trickery, mm-hmm. And I change my voice and I soften everything and go quiet and start to take them into more of a relaxation meditation where they start to fall to sleep and allow their bodies to relax. And But the whole time they're in control. They have their eyes open if they want to. They're focused and listening to a story that's fun for them. So it's like meditation covered with a story with a little bit of magic and trickery. And that's how I do it. <laughs> Exactly. In our house, before my boys go to sleep and well, they'll be all excited. But once we put on your story, so it really calms them down. And yeah. To, to and f- the brain is amazing. It's like a, the brain is very, very smart, especially children's brains. So if you create like a bedtime routine, um, something that is familiar to them, like, for example, you always maybe burn some uh, incense at that time of night when you listen to the meditation. Or you you do the essential oil, maybe a little bit of lavender on the pillow. They, Everything is like a little ritual, like the meditation is a ritual. Calming down and getting into bed is a ritual. And they learn that and the brain learns that. It kind of gets a groove like in the brain pattern and it goes, okay, yeah, we're used to this. We like this. Yes. We we know this is comfortable. And the left brain will kind of let go and relax. So sometimes it takes a – I have parents that reach out to me and say, I've tried it and it doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, just be consistent, but don't be pressured. Don't pressure them. Just kind of play the meditations in the background, maybe while they're brushing their teeth or yeah. – you know, just gently get them used to, oh, this is right. This is, I'm listening to Corey. It's bedtime, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. And how did you come up with the stories about Heidi and Jerry and Rhea and all that? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, they just came, like the, all the other ones, they just came out of my head. <laughs> I have this, um, I think I have a bit of a crazy imagination anyway. Um, and I, on, I, I have a process that's not very um, organized, but it's very authentic. I'll, I have um, over maybe two or 300 requests that children send me all the time on my YouTube channel. Uh-huh. And I put them on a list and I always think, okay, I need to make a meditation right now. So I'll look at my list and I'll look at certain ideas. And there's always two, maybe two or three that pop out of these 200 that I look down. And I I used to try at the beginning to do the older ones before the newer ones. But now I just, there's so many of them that I just intuitively let my mind pick one. 
And I think that that goes with the masses for some reason. I think, okay, that's probably what's needed right now. So I'll pick maybe Zoe's getting bullied or um, some child is having issues with uh, their parents getting divorced or maybe it's just a simple one where a child just wants to um, have a meditation about a bubble bath or there's so many different ones. So I'll pick one out. And then Heidi, Cherry and Veo were... um, Heidi and Cherry were just requests for certain names of children's pets that they've sent me in. Like, can you do a story about a cat called Cherry or (laughs) something as simple as that? So that's how they started. And for some reason, the kids really love them and they're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Especially Cherry. She's she's the most annoying cat in the world, but everybody (laughs) seems to love her. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes Apart we, from the parents. <laughs> yeah. We'd even talk, you know, in Vea's dialect kind of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But they're just like little characters and 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 I'll say, Okay, Heidi Cherry and Vea they they need to go to the mall. Somebody some child wants them to go to the mall. So that's my story. Uh-huh. So then I'll just sit down in front of my recorder and I'll think about them going to the mall, what would kids do? if they were going to the mall and that kind of thing and just get a few ideas in my mind. And then I just press record and blur, it just kind of all comes out. And the weird thing is after I record them, I forget them. So I don't, when I get ideas about certain things, I think I honestly don't remember if I've done it before because they kind of disappear. It's, it's interesting. It's almost like I go into an altered state does that make sense? Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> I go somewhere else or I kind of channel like the weird stories. And then when it's over, I obviously I like edit it and write about it and remember it then. But like, give me a week and I'm like, no, I've got no idea what that story was about. It's uh, very interesting. <laughs> and what is the best technique for children to calm down when they feel upset? Oh, well, you know, it's, I would always, I would instantly say the breath, mm-hmm. they're working with their breath somehow. If you can get a child to just calm down with their breath, like slowing their breath down, yes. but that's not always easy because some children don't respond to you just saying, okay, let's breathe. You know, sometimes they're so far into an anxiety attack or something like that, that's very difficult mm-hmm. for them to focus. So normally I would suggest a breathing technique with some kind of visual as well is really helpful. So have a child close their eyes and imagine that, okay, just calm down. Now imagine you've got this big, maybe ask them while they're a little bit stressed, what's your favorite color? And then they'll say green or blue or something. Okay, calm down. Just try and breathe with me. And then I would breathe. And give them an example of how I want them to breathe. So, you know, keep them kind of try and make them pace with you with their breath. Mm-hmm. But then also with your eyes closed, okay, imagine like this big, big, big balloon in front of you. And we're going to make it bigger and bigger and it's green. So imagine every time you breathe in, you're going to take a nice big deep breath. And then when you breathe out, you're going to blow into this balloon and make it really, really big. Something like that. Mm-hmm is like an added visual yes. that will help them to distract the mind. Because it's normally when they're in an anxiety state, it's left brain activity yes. connected to fear and 
you know, mm-hmm. they're scared. And then the whole body, obviously, the chemicals in the body and the brain starts to react to that. And and you just start to go on this uh, train of um, responses to anxiety or fear. So it's you have to find some kind of technique that breaks the chain, breaks that cycle and distracts them long enough to calm them down. That's what I would suggest. Oh, I think it's a wonderful suggestion because often, you know, you tell a child breathe and I mean, purposely, he wouldn't. So yes, um, <laughs> you they're, so, they're so smart. Kids are so smart. They'll do what they want to do exactly. <laughs> at the end of the day. And maybe he feels that he needs to have panic right now he needs to be stressed he needs to get this energy out of his body or whatever and sometimes they you know you have to allow them to maybe do that okay let's find a stress relief let's let's punch this pillow you know let's punch it for 10 times and shout out words that make you feel like you want to just get get it out of your body let's just get that out of your body you can go in that avenue in that direction and let them just express it and let that force and that energy come out of them rather than try and suppress it. Sometimes that's really effective also. Exactly. And uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts of the body-mind connection and how do you balance between them? In what respect? Explain a little bit more for me. In respect that, um, I say, in order for us to learn, I believe in the body-mind connection. So if we're trying to learn to count, we can't just sit down and look at numbers. We need to move our body, activate our body in order for the learning to take place. Right. So as far as learning meditation or learning to deal with stress, is that what you mean? The connection between body and mind? Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting because... The the body really is normally, um, how I look at it from my perspective is that the body is a communicator. So everything that's happening in the body is really a signal of something that's taking place in the brain. So if the body is feeling heavy and, and stiff and tired, for example, then normally without realizing subconsciously somewhere we have thoughts in the brain that's creating that heaviness. Maybe there's depression or sadness or something in the brain that's causing the reaction of the heaviness and the tiredness and the stiffness in the body. So from that respect, body and mind, I believe they're very closely connected. As far as learning goes, then we're, there's so many different ways that we can learn and all children a difference. So you have to find if you're just interested in working with your particular child, you'll know yourself that they'll respond sometimes more to visual teaching rather than audio teaching. And sometimes it's more just listening to audio that will help them rather than um, hands on and movement. But more and more than excuse me in more cases than not children tend to learn much easier if you can allow them to express through the body so whether that's with exercising or dancing or just playing jumping around with their body then they will learn because when their body is moving and they're active and they're happy then they're it's almost like there's an activation switch in their brain that will pay attention more to what you're saying 
and it's kind of the opposite of meditation sometimes. Yeah. So it's 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 conflicting information, but it depends on what you're wanting your child to connect the body and mind with. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And Corey, what drives you to help people? Oh, I think that's just general human nature. You know, I think when you, the more that you do your own soul searching and um, experiencing through life and different things, and um, especially when you're on a spiritual journey. And also, I think when you meditate yourself, I mean, I'm one of those people where if I don't meditate, I kind of lose my way. I lose my path. So I think the more that you become aware of yourself and life and human beings, the more that you connect to them and love them. And we're just all, it's all within, it's within all of us, right? We all have that human nature to want to love each other and take care of each other. So I think that's just mm -hmm. really it. It's nothing special. It's just coming from a place of wanting to share something that will improve the world and make people feel good and feel happy. Exactly. And how do you actually help your clients help themselves? Do they all have the realizations they want to help themselves? No, you know, it's different with every clients and adults and children are different. Children, when you're working in a therapy um, field with children, not on my YouTube channel, when I work with them in my um, office, in my consultations and things, it's different there because there you have to really just, depending on their age, most of the time if they're under 10 or so, you have to really just make friends with them. So it's becoming like um, you're their friend, you're someone that they can trust, someone that they can talk to you, and then using different skills and activities, for example, sitting down and just drawing with them or playing with clay with them and things like that as you talk. And it's just a general conversation, but that general conversation when you're trained can give you so much detail about what's going on with the child, just how they respond to questions and things like that. So in that respect, when you're working with children, it's very different from working with adults. Working with adults, it's more a case of everyone who comes has an issue, whether it's an addiction or whether it's just um, something connected to self-confidence or whether they're having issues with, in a relationship with their partner. I tend to work in a way that I'll help them with hypnotherapy or with talk therapy or with meditation or guided imagery or whatever it is that they need. I'll help them, but also at the same time I teach. So I, I will give them a process and do something with them, but then I will always kind of implement homework and teach them how to start to think for themselves and take care of themselves. And what we just did in the office, I want you to do this the next time this happens. Do you get me? Yeah. So it's very different with adults. Um, with children, it's more about just making friends with them and allowing them to have a safe place, a safe zone where they can talk and communicate. And that's not really about teaching them how to do things themselves, except probably breathing techniques and things like that. Uh -huh. So a child, what kind of homework would you give him? Oh, now, 
can you give me an example of what it would be for? You mean for anxiety? Yes, or? yes, for like under 10s. So a child under 10, homework. I would, f what my intention would be as a therapist would be to find out what's causing the anxiety in this particular child in the first place. So what is it that's triggering this child to have anxiety reactions to something? It might be he's afraid of the dark or it might be uh, overwhelmed when there's a lot of people around or it might be he's been bullied at school. You know, it's finding where the anxiety is being triggered. Once I find where the anxiety is coming from, then I would normally work with them to find out what it feels like in their body. Because once they can associate what the anxiety feels like in their body, you can almost create a character for the anxiety. For example, maybe the anxiety feels prickly in, in the chest. And if the anxiety feels prickly in the chest, then I would like have them Maybe give me a word. What does that word, is it, is it prickly or is it bumpy or is it, what, what word would explain this feeling in your chest? So they're getting to know what their anxiety feels like. They're giving it an identity almost. And then maybe we could call it something. We could call it a name. What name would you call it if you had to call this feeling in your body? What name would you call it? And maybe they want to call it Fred. And then the homework would probably be, okay, what I want you to do is every time you start to feel that prickly feeling and you start to see the color red and you feel Fred in your chest, I want you to go downstairs and if you can, take 10 paces across the room and count 10 out loud or something like that. And so I would create something that would be appropriate for that child that is like a distraction mm -hmm. from Fred, the prickly anxiety feeling. And as you count to 10, every step that you take, I want you to imagine that we're squishing Fred so he gets really, really small. Do you get me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, nothing like that. Yeah. So you're empowering the child. He's in control of the feeling that he has in his body. He's not relying on anyone else to help him. He's not relying on an outside object that if you lose it and he can't manage without it, like a, a brown bag or an, an inhaler or whatever it is that the child relies on to calm down. He's got all the tools inside of him and it's all in his mind and he can squish the anxiety and make it go away just by stomping on the ground 10 times. And if it doesn't get smaller and smaller and smaller, then you just keep stomping for 10 more times. Do you get me? Yeah, Something amazing. Like oh, it sounds really good. Now, Corinne, <laughs> how can people get in touch with you? Well, um, they can find me on my website page, which is ajnahypnotherapy.com, which is a little bit difficult word, but it's ajna as in A-J-N-A. -A. Ajna is actually your third eye chakra your inner sight to your soul. So that's why I called it that. So it's ajnahypnotherapy.com. They can find me there. And on, on my website, there's contact information where I work. And I also do like long distance Skype sessions and things like that. So you don't have to necessarily be in San Diego. Uh -huh. And the YouTube channels just... My YouTube channels, Kari's Conscious Living. Okay. 
Curry, thank you so much for such an You're interesting welcome. talk. <laughs> I hope I hope it was helpful. <laughs> it was, it was indeed. Thank you for listening to the Sensory Change Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. For more information on sensory input and ideas, visit danalatta.com. Join our community this month to get a free seven-day online course packed with practical sensory activities and strategies.